Good morning, everybody. Hi, my name is Pete Roquet. I'm the Code Enforcement Director with Four Leaf, and welcome to our Code Concepts with Rachel and Pete. Rachel Patterson is unable to join us today. She's a little bit tied up. That's the nature of our business. And um, so today we have Lorena Souls uh, here with us, and Lorena is on the Cassie Accessibility Board. And Lorena will talk a little bit about what that is. Um, today's topic is accessibility and the importance of accessibility uh, in what and what it has to do with code enforcement. So with that, I'm going to introduce my good friend, uh, Lorena Souls. We have a lot of history. We actually, we work together. Um, we made the transition from uh, local municipality into the private sector and we are loving it every, well, at least I'm loving it every, every second of it. So, I am too. <laughs> uh, so, Lorena, can you can you introduce yourselves and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, what your role is at uh, Four Leaf, and and uh, a little bit about uh, accessibility. I guess sure. So, um, I'm Lorena Souls. I work with Pete Roquet for Four Leaf, <laughs> and what I do is I'm the building services manager, and um, I go out and meet with different municipalities and see what their needs are for. Uh, staff augmentation, project review, um, which also includes accessibility, which is where my passion is. Um, a little bit about myself. I My background is more as a permit tech. I've been in the building industry for about 25 years and mostly spent um, as a permit technician for about 18 years. Um, later, I got into residential plan review, and from there, I got introduced to accessibility through the plan review process. And, uh, you know, you would see it at intake when permit techs are taking in plan reviews, um, we, we see all that. So, with that wherewithal, I was like, my supervisor and my mentor then, he was like, why don't you consider taking the CASP exam? And that's kind of how it all came to fruition. So, yeah. So, so what is CASP? Um, CASP, it's Certified Accessibility Specialist. And it's um, a program that was brought forward through um, DSA, who was instructed through the statutes to create this um, program so that there would be more education from the CASP to business owners to educate them on their responsibility to provide access. And so with Senate builds, this is just going back through um, the whole process of it all and how it came to be. The Senate Bill 1608 is which provided um, DSA the authority to write the program. And through that, um, a lot of different um, architects, uh, code officials, people started becoming aware of it because it was then made a requirement that certain music, that municipalities um, had CASP employed through them. And so because of that, um, that's just where my interest came. And mostly because um, my interest in accessibility came because my mom is losing her vision. She's actually going blind. And so she's um, struggles when with just 
depth perception. She has very narrow vision. And so, you know, when I have a um, uncle who's a wheelchair user and Pete, you know, you have your, your brother too. So it, it is very near and dear to me. And so that's where all my interests began. So, you know, right now with with CAST, I know there's not a lot of you guys in existence. How long has this program been in, in place? Uh, just a little over 10 years. And right now, I don't even believe there's a thousand CASPs yet. So I'm CASP 833. And I know right now with the last testing that just um, happened in June, they're in the 900s now and they're getting closer to a thousand, but that doesn't mean that the casts that are certified are actually active. So, you know, the numbers are like one through, let's say a thousand, but there are some that are not um, renewed. So it doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're active casts. And then those that are casts, they're not all like municipal government casts. They're independent consultants, whether they're just an accessibility consultant or they're an architect that's practicing. And the CAS program, really what it is, it's um, part of CRASCA, which stands for Construction Related Accessibility Compliance Act. And what happens is if a CAS goes out and does an inspection for, let's say, a 7-Eleven for the business owner and list out all their their violations, all their barriers to accessibility, it provides them with what's considered qualified defendant status. So they take their report and they go through and they make the, um, the fixes, like say, let's say they need a curb ramp or let's say they need to adjust their door pressure or they need, um, to provide a accessible service counter. So whatever the needs are, whatever's identified in their report, as long as they're showing progress and they're making those, um, removing those barriers, they have the qualified defendant status, which gives them a 90 day stay should they get sued for something that's listed in that report. They have 90 days to fix that and um, it, basically stops attorney fees from building okay. and and what, one of the one of the things that i've heard about the cast exam and, and i know it's a lot of it's scary for a lot of people because you know in the building world I, i've heard it called the bar of uh, of, of the building test because it's so difficult to pass and having 10 years and only a thousand people certified really tells me a lot about that test how difficult it is you right. know and and in conjunction to that, uh, I believe there's certain types of certifications out there for different states for accessibility. Is that correct? Yes, there there are. Even um, there's an accessibility plan reviewer that you can you can study and become certified through ICC as well. It, it isn't it isn't the the CASP exam. It's and as far as I know, I haven't taken it yet. But as far as I know, it's um, really not comparable to what you need to know to study for the CASP exam. Um, I know the ICC accessibility is more geared towards the ANSI, which is another uh, standard that's used for accessibility. Um, the ANSI A117 um, was has been around since 1961. So, and that was actually the first technical guidance that um, 
that was what the law was based off of was that ANSI. So that's how long it's, it's been around in the, let's see, um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. So it's all good. And it's, and it's, 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 um, you know, I learned about CASP and, you know, it's one of those things that I don't think code enforcement officers really, really, um, really focus on, you know, uh, on CASP. And so we have, uh, oh, by the way, we have a quick question. It says, uh, can you uh, talk a little on CalDAG as a resource? Oh yeah, sure. So um, Mike Gibbons, he's he's a great guy, and he actually he put together the CalDAG, and it, it is a great resource. Um, you know, I've taken a lot of DSA trainings. Who um, so I declare she's the the state architect, first female state architect, but. She, she's amazing. And she actually put together the um, CAS 101 program, which if you plan on taking the CAS exam, you should actually um, take that because it's a great segue into preparing for the CAS exam. But the CalDAG, she talks about a bunch of resources in that um, module that she teaches. And the CalDAG, the, there's also walking through accessibility, um, the CARM, there's different resources out there, but your, your main resource for accessibility should be the California Building Code or the 2010 ADAS, and if it was built prior to even the 1991 ADAS. Um, they're all great resources, but you know, there's always that opportunity for something, for there to be some kind of error. So, you know, as a CASP, always verify as um, if you're trying to interpret something, they are good resources, but DSA also has an interpretive manual that is um, an additional resource that tells you their interpretation. And it has the DOJ interpretation and the DSA interpretation. You can download that from DSA's website. Sure. And, you know, one of the things for code officials, you know, um, you know, I first got I've been in code enforcement for over a decade and I didn't really know anything about accessibility until I met you. And, <laughs> and one of the reasons that it was you're like, you know, it's funny because we had the discussion that you're such a ADA nerd, you know, that you just <laughs> love. I mean, if you ever wa see Lorena walking around, she carries a stack of books and, you know, if you see Lorena, she's so tiny. <laughs> he has these big books. I'm like, hey, let me get your books. She's like, nah, I got it, you know. But and 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 Lorena is one of those folks that takes the time to explain things to you. Uh, you know, I saw Lorena's presentation when she did um, Building Safety Month in 2019. She did an excellent presentation to make it more simplified uh, for us code officials on what it is that um, what it is that uh, we should be looking at. And you know, in 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 Talking to my peers, I know the accessibility was discussed on, on the next round at IPMC um, uh, hearing. So uh, this is something that's going to be interesting because I always say, you know, there's certain things that are going to come to the forefront and accessibility is one of them. You know, as more people are becoming disabled due to like diabetes or or obesity or, or, you know, or even COVID or, you know, the, the side effects. I mean, pe people are... Um, are needing uh, more uh, more accessibility, you know, accessibility, just period, I'm, you know. And can you um, can you see, 
you as a normal person on a normal day, what, what, you know, and just like me with code enforcement, I can't turn it off. You know, I'm driving down the street and I'm like, Oh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. You know? And, and, and it's funny because, you know, me knowing Lorena personally, um, you know, my, my wife, uh, my wife uh, went through a presentation to see if she can, you know, she can get it to a layman's person, which she did. And all of a sudden my wife thought she was like a, like a, this accessibility expert. I'm like, Hey, hold your role. She's a cast, you know? So she's looking at her, at her own uh, business. And she's like, well, we don't have the sign. It's not tall enough. I need to talk to my, 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 my guy. She's like, Hey, slow your roll. You know, <laughs> that's not your responsibility. It's up to the, the property owner. You know to fix these things and you know currently um a lot of our our places don't have a lot of enforcement mechanisms we do have some striping that we need them to comply if they you know if somebody tears up their side their their parking lot we can right. say hey you now have to meet your 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 striping requirements right that, that's when a municipality can come in and say hey by the way you're mixed you know you don't comply with current ada or whatever, and that's people like Lorena that cash these kind of things. So, Lorena, you as a normal person, you know, when you go to your local, um, you know, your to go get a haircut or your groceries, gas stations, gas stations, I gas stations. What are common things that you? Yeah, and that's how I am, you know. And, and it's funny because people stop inviting me to their homes because they think I'm just going to narc them out on every illegal <laughs> thing that I see. You and I'm like, to my house. <laughs> So, you know, so it's one of those things. So what do you see when you're out and about in, in town? And, you know, what, what are normal things that a, a person might not realize that it, it may be an accessibility issue? And what are what are the kind of things that you see? You know, there's a there's a lot of violations everywhere when you're looking at the specifics of the code, because it just let's say hypothetically going to a gas station, um, striping a lot of times. I mean, striping is missing at the, the top of the access aisle. So you'll, it has to be its full perimeter and it's always at the top border is never striped. And so that's a violation that could be listed in a lawsuit. Now, does it prevent access? No, it doesn't. But the fact that there are people out there who will sue you based on just striping because there are those um, high frequency litigants that will search on Google just because it's easier. They can find where the parking isn't, uh, it's not up to code, right? So, but it may have been up to code at a previous code cycle, but they're kind of going after someone who's not up to current code. They're going after the fast dollar. And so those are small things. You'll have the detectable warnings, which are the little bumpy yellow truncated domes that you see everywhere. They'll place those sometimes within the access aisle. They'll place them within like door maneuvering clearances, especially when doors open up and you're automatically um, outside on a parking pattern access aisle because there are a lot of historic buildings that were built just that are not they're pre-ADA so they were built before the ADA and they're just not up to code and those buildings are typically harder to bring up to code so um when I go to a gas station it, it's really hard like you know that maybe they don't have lever hardware they still have old doorknob hardware you know you have um some veterans that are are back from war and they've lost their limbs and they don't understand that you know maybe they can't they can't 
turn and twist the doorknob. That's why lever hardware is required. Um, there's there's a lot of things like it's it's really hard for me to go anywhere. Even my husband thinks he's an expert because <laughs> we just sit and talk. We commute a lot up north to the Central Valley, and he's like, "Oh, babe, did you see that? Or did you see this?" I'm like, oh, "That gas station was so bad. Gas stations are notorious." It's funny. I never seen somebody gas for ADA like. <gasps> <laughs> but you know and, and 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 you know just for the sake of this program because we have a lot of people that aren't code officials when what are those yellow bumps for well they're, they're actually for to assist the blind so you know before back in the day um a lot of cities didn't have curb ramps and so you they knew that when they came to a curb, obviously, you know, that they were now going into um, a vehicular way. Well, once cities are, they started to put in all the curb ramps, they needed another form, another avenue to inform the blind, like, hey, you're going into this vehicular way. And so those detectable warnings um, provide them that knowledge because you know, that they're going into a, a hazardous vehicular way where there's possibility they can be hit or, who you know, just be injured. So, but that's the purpose there for the blind. Typically, from what I understand, yellow is the last color that a, a person going blind or a vision impaired person can see. And I believe that to be true because, like I said, my mom's losing her vision and she um, she can see yellow very well. So uh, so we did have a question and, and the question was, uh, can you talk on hardships as related to accessibility compliance, uh, TLS, etc.? OK, so that I think that's. TI for tenant improvements. Oh yeah, TI. Oh, TI. <laughs> TLS. <laughs> yeah, tenant improvements. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> Cecilia. She's gonna murder me. So. <laughs> so. So just just for clarity's sake, tenant improvements are when somebody um, upgrades their um, their business. Um, for example, they're moving into a new um, you know a, a new place and they're upgrading. Normally, a, a tenant improvement is the, the configure, uh, reconfiguration of those things. So go ahead. So go yeah, ahead. So I can, I can tell you from my permit tech experience. So, you know, working the counter, you'll see a tenant improvement come through. It's an office building and now they're going to or it's an office space rather. And now they're going to convert it and it's going to be a restaurant. So one, there's a change of use. Right. And two, they need to bring up their accessibility for this tenant improvement. So let's say, um, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so let's say their construction cost is um, $100,000. And 11B202.4, exception eight, indicates that you need to bring up the accessibility um, areas that are not compliant up to 20% of the construction costs. So you have $100,000 that you're spending on your tenant improvement, which means now you need to add an additional $20,000 to bring up any accessibility that may not be to compliance. So uh, typically um, 
there's specific items listed in that code section that indicates what they need to bring up to compliance for that 20%. Now you would bring up the path of travel from or the accessible route from the sidewalk to the building entrance. You're going to work on the entrance of the facility. You're going to um, um, address the restrooms, bring those into compliance. Um so there are, there are about five items and it does include parking and some signage, um, telephones, which you don't see too much of those anymore. So don't really, you know, look at those because many people aren't putting in telephones. Everybody has a cell phone. So basically, let's say getting back to the hardship, there's a lot of items that cannot be addressed or the um, it's going to cost maybe instead of $20,000, it's gonna cost $120,000 to make these repairs and your construction cost is at $100,000. Then you would say, okay, Mr. Building Official, I would like to apply for a hardship because these things I'm bringing into compliance, but these things I can't because it's gonna exceed the cost of construction where it really does become a hardship that maybe the business owner cannot, cannot even open because that's just too much money. You know, so that's where that kind of comes in. And, and typically, what kind of what kind of improvements do you do you see that come across a, a permit uh, a permit counter? That you know, is it like doors? Is it bathrooms? Uh, restrooms? Is it um, you know, uh, just pathways, walkways? What, what do you typically see? Like what that's, what's what's I, I know all of those things are required, but what's the most common thing that you see people normally have to come into compliance with? That probably wasn't there before. Um, definitely the entrance, the accessible route from the sidewalk to the facility entrance. That, because, I mean, you really want to get people into the building, right? Like, And so then when you get to the entrance of the facility, you want to um, make sure your threshold's in compliance. I mean, why get them from the public way to the entrance of the facility? And then you got to step to get into the building, like. So you really got to get them to the entrance of the facility. And then when you get inside, like I said, um, telephones are almost obsolete. So you go into the restroom and let's get the restroom into compliance. And a lot of times um, these historic buildings are, or not historic, but older facilities that were built prior to uh, the ADA, they'll have old, um, really small restrooms. And you can, as part of your alteration, um, depending on like fixture count, um, water unit use and all that, you can um, take two restrooms, remove them and create one restroom that is accessible for all. I mean, so with so just like with code enforcement, there's always options for people to comply. And, you know, sometimes people pick a, a more cost effective um, option than a non cost effective option. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, um, and normally uh, do, do you see sometimes that the ADA requirements kind of are a deterrent to some of the uh, folks that are trying to open a, like a first time uh, business owner? Do you, do you feel like sometimes do you see that it could be a deterrent sometimes? Yes, but I think for the most part, people want to comply um, because one, they want to get their business open, but too, they just don't know how. And a lot of times, you know, architects, they have to take a lot of um, 
they have to take so many hours of CEUs training for accessibility, but within those hours, if you're not specializing in accessibility, it's, it's really hard to know everything, you know, because architects have to know a little bit of everything, right? They need to know the structural, the architectural, the MEP portions. And so, um, and then there's accessibility. So there's all these, these, different codes that they have to be aware of and you can't be an expert in all of them but you can certainly be an expert in some of them right so a lot of um, architects because they don't know like some of their details they're outdated and it's it makes it hard. So coming back to the customer and then them wanting to comply, but if they hire the wrong architect, that's really not specialized. Like when you do tenant improvements, there are some architects that are specialized in restaurants. Like that's all they do. Or there's some that are specialized in medical facilities. That's all they do. So if you're a business owner and you are um, going to be hiring an architect to do your tenant improvement, you really want to hire someone who specializes in that expertise because if you get like a medical facility architect trying to do something for like a restaurant and help a customer out, you know, their client, um, their knowledge is is there, but it, it's still slightly different. So they may they may miss something. And, and, and Cecilia made a great point that there's value to know in ADA compliance, what it looks like for code enforcement, because sometimes we do trigger people to you know, uh, to come in and get permits. And all of a sudden it turns into like, hey, a stop work order into a like, now you have to come in ADA compliance, which is like, you know, and and it's, and it's nobody, nobody really likes, you know, if somebody's skipping the permit process is because they're trying to be cheap sometimes or yeah. trying to bypass. And now you're adding a whole layer of ADA compliance, which makes it, you know, it's like a double punch in the gut, you know, and, and, and we get it. But at the same time, you know, like you said, I personally have a, um, uh, family members that disabled and my, my brother can't move his hand. His hand's like this, like stuck all the time. So him pulling a door, it's, you know, or even pushing a door, he can push a door, but if the door is really heavy, you know, like one of the things I've learned is the door has to be a certain, uh, um, you know, for a senior citizen or somebody to be Five pounds of pressure. <laughs> you know, and, and, and people don't take this in consideration or counters that have to be a certain height uh, for folks in wheelchairs or, you know, and, and these are, so what are common things that you see, um, for example, I know you stress on some of them, but what are things that like somebody, let's say for somebody who um, is disabled with, uh, with eyesight, what are kind of things, like little things that may, uh, may, assist them in, you know, being more accessible, friendly? Um, well, when you have transitions, like for instance, for eyesight vision impairment, my mom, for instance, she has no depth perception. And there was a time when we were walking on a concrete path and there was a, a, a step that you take down and she, um, without there wasn't a yellow stripe or a black stripe or any contrasting stripe so she wasn't able to see that step and me i felt so bad i forgot to tell her because usually i walk in front of her and i say okay mom there's a step right there okay mom and i forgot to tell her there was a step right there so she she has there's no contrast so the concrete just looked like it was a full 
flat walk to her and she just fell down face first. And, and there's my little mama, you know, she's only 4'10". She's little and she's on the ground. I'm like, oh my God. So just little things like that um, on walks or curbs, if you can put some contrasting striping, like I prefer yellow just because that is the, they, they say that is the last color someone vision impaired can see, right? But anything contrasting will help those who are vision impaired. And there is a code section in Chapter 11B of the building code that indicates for all exterior stairs, they shall be striped. They'll have a contrasting stripe. And interior stairs, you'll have one at the top and bottom of the, the stair run. So, but that, 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 is a, that is something that's important. So, so one of the things that I saw, for example, in the, um, you know, because of you, um, we, I updated our website for standards and codes Academy and the code enforcement educators to be, uh, to be ADA compliant, you know, and, and have those things because websites too, those, those, those could be subject to, to a complaint, you know? And so you have to have, you know, like, uh, you know, different, uh, text size and, I mean, there's different things that we have to do for our websites as well. And people don't, re- and a lot of, I go to a lot of city websites and a lot of city websites don't have it, which is right. like, hmm, you should uh, check out your city website or your own personal websites right. um, to assist, you know, uh, visually impaired folks. And some, some of them have the read to text uh, features on them. There, I, I know there's a, there's a standard for websites. Um, so I, I know there's one and we meet that one. So, um, and the other thing is, um, like I said, you're very like I'm very involved in code enforcement. As you can see, I have this. Uh, I'm on here like as much as I can, informing the public. And my, you know, I was on the phone with Rachel, and Rachel's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I, you know, I'm so I, I can't do it." And and it happens because someday I'm not going to be here, and she'll be here. But right. um, but at end of the day, this to us bringing out information is so important. And you you are an equivalent as far as in the ADA world. Cause I know you, you go to a lot of meetings, you go to uh, attend a lot of things and you know, a lot of trainings you train yourself, you know? Um, and I know you have a, a study group of folks for people that do want to get CAP certified, you know, uh, I'm not ready for that yet, but I will be, and I will hit you up. But uh, can you talk about some of the involvement that you're in in the uh, accessibility world and what kind of um, resources are there for somebody that wants to continue to learn about accessibility? Wow, there there is so much great resources out there. Um, right now, I'm a board member for CASI, which is the Certified Accessibility Institute, and um we, we work on putting out a lot of training because, you know, one, you want to stay up to date. Um, two, we need, we need the CEUs for our um, renewals, right? Um, but there's the U.S. Access Board. They have a fantastic website. They have, um, actually, they have some really good animations for those that don't understand why um door pressure needs to be a a certain way or the 18 inch strike side maneuvering clearance on the pull side of the door, why that's needed. So someone in a wheelchair can maneuver operating that door. there's, they just have such great animations. They have um, service counter animations. Um, What else they have? 
toilet facilities, bathing facilities. They have just a, a ton of information out there. And then there's like the DOJ. Um, there's also the, um, I think it's called first housing, which kind of goes over like the FHA information, but there's, there's, there's a ton of resources out there and I can look up some of the websites and share them with you later. If you want to put that out. Um, sure. but- if somebody, yeah, if somebody wants to, anybody in the audience, if somebody uh, wants to check out the Cassie website, it should be in the comments. So check that out. Um, also, you can take a look at the website to see what kind of resources are out there. For code enforcement, this is my prediction. You know, I, I think it's going to head in the way of us jurisdictions enforcing code enforcement, um, you know, for accessibility. I just saw, we just put on an article on the uh, code enforcement uh, education and news Facebook page. They actually created a position just to enforce ADA uh, somewhere in the Midwest. And that I see that as a trend growing, kind of like stormwater or massage enforcement or cannabis enforcement, um, lead enforcement. Those are things that these are specialized uh, fields in code enforcement. And I, I, I see this morphing into it now that we're talking about it in the in incorporating some of those into the IPMC. So to me, this is where we're going and. You know, as code enforcement grows, so is the need for special uh, specialization in these types of enforcement. And, you know, because we do get the calls like, hey, I couldn't, you know, the stairs are a little wonky. You know, I, uh, the stairs are like too far uh, tall from each other. And um, us as code enforcement people, we 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 enforce it under the building code because it wasn't built correctly. But we don't really take account the accessibility portion of it. So Yeah. And you know what? You and I had this conversation some time back in when we were working in municipal government, right? So um, what it comes back to, I think, Pete, I think you and I, we, we were chasing the code and we were following the code, right? And finding this code path like, hey, how can we have this person? We have received a complaint that... Um, their their striping was dilapidated right the, the well the whole parking lot was and um we're like how how can we use the code to enforce this because typically um building departments they can only enforce 11b um we uh, we cannot enforce the ada the ada is enforced through litigation it's enforced through the doj you know when they bring the hammer down so what we did is if your municipality adopts the IPMC, right, you can, there's a code section in the CBC that says um, it refers to the IPMC. And then when you go back to the IPMC, it indicates that you need to have that building maintenance. And part of that maintenance, we can say, hey, is, is your striping. It's, it's your your walks. They, there's all these divots. It's there's um, no smooth transition. So you can really um, use those codes to enforce it. Yeah. And, and then that's one of the things that, you know, I, I've, I've helped out a lot of municipalities that don't have the um, IPMC. They adopt certain codes, for example, in California and then even in other states, they still, um, they still use the 97, you know, from housing code. So when somebody tells you, hey, my, you know, this is 20, you know, that was 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago isn't really a long time ago. You know, it's, it's, I mean, even 30 years ago, almost, I'm thinking, right. It's almost 30 years. So, and, and you're thinking it's a 30 year old code and 
And, you know, if, if you're using the building code, like you said, we found like how it's adopted through an adoption. And we're like, wow, that's, that's genius. Especially if you're not using that code, it, the, the building code does in California, at least it allows you to use the international property maintenance code as a standard, unless your city decides to strike that and not use it at all. But most and a lot of cities do. A lot of cities do. It, it, it's, you know, luckily we work for a municipality that they, that did adopt it, but I recognize that a lot of, a lot of cities do not adopt it. And that's a powerful little code. It's what, like 50 pages, but it's a powerful code. And, and, and what, what uh, Cecilia is saying is very pertinent to rental inspection programs. Of course, you know, there's, there's, there's so many, um, you know, there's so many, that little book has, is just packs a punch. You know? and, and I think, and for me that, that is my code and the model codes. That's my favorite one. And Cecilia is a nerd about that one. And she, she loves it. And I can pick on Cecilia because Cecilia does a show with me on Tuesdays uh, where we interview like code, code, uh, uh, code professionals. And we talk about their journey and, you know, uh, and more about leadership and, and their styles and their programs. And uh-huh. uh, on Fridays here with uh, code concepts with uh, Pete and Rachel or Rachel and Pete, sorry. Um, what do you call it? Um, it sounds better. So uh, <laughs> what do you call it? Um, we, we focus more on the general, uh, things that we may see in code for accessibility is a perfect example. You know, accessibility is um, people don't in code really don't look at that. It's, you know, and, and one of the things is like we enforce, uh, we enforce like vendors. Okay. Well, are we really enforcing vendor? What's the problem with a vendor? Well, other than their selling thing and they might not be washing their hands and all that other stuff. Right. What's the other issue that when they put themselves on, what's the other issue? Accessibility. All right. Accessibility. What are they doing to the sidewalk? Exactly. They're blocking the sidewalk. So, you know, as as part of um, cities' programs and services, sidewalks fall under programs. And you have to provide 48 inches um, clear for a walk, you know, so people can traverse um, whether they're wheelchair users or maybe they um, are on crutches for a short time, you know. So, yeah, and sidewalk vendors do do block the sidewalks, especially, I don't know if you've been downtown LA recently, um, there's a, a lot of underpasses under the freeway, you know, the homeless are congregating there. And I've seen, I've been driving where I've seen someone in a wheelchair actually have to traverse into the street to go around the homeless encampment because they're literally blocking the whole, um, sidewalk and so you know that that's all things that i don't think people realize and that's another thing that we we need to get under control and get some services out there to help people and and one of the things for code enforcement is you know there's a in 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 the ninth uh, district uh, a court of appeals we you know it's not illegal to to be homeless so there's a lot of anti-camping laws that you can't enforce unless you have uh, reasonable accommodations for uh, those folks. If you don't have them, you can't enforce. Well, at least in California, uh, uh-huh. you can't enforce any of the handy, you know, unlawful camping. However, um, that ha- has nothing to do with uh, encroachment of uh, and, and safety measures. That that's a completely different. That's a c- completely different thing. And you know, a lot of a lot of police departments actually use those type of codes to be able to provide that accessibility to to the public. 
And sometimes that that means that the that the uh, transients or homeless have to move. So I mean, it, you know, um, you know, if maybe they they need to go on the bluff or you know where they're not blocking traffic. So you know, there's there's different tools that code enforcement uses, you know, to help people that 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 may be affected by the lack of accessibility. And I think it's important to, you know, for us to know these things, because at the end of the day, it, that's another tool that code enforcement can use um, to, to, to achieve compliance, to make sure that everybody that uses those facilities are, you know, are doing it right. And even municipalities, you know, they're like, well, that the city's not doing that. And you're like, yeah, you're right. The city needs to step up and, and do their, their, you know, fix their facilities as well. And, you know. Uh-huh. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, we're, we're, we don't have money. I'm like, well, you know what? Um, you need to, you still need to fix them. I mean, that's the law. You need, yeah, you need to get yeah. through their capital improvement uh, projects or whatever. I know, like, um, as part, every every city is required to do what's called a, um, a transition plan. So the, the, they're supposed to have a transition plan showing that they've... Um, reviewed all their facilities and they've compiled um, all their barriers and then they work towards repairing those barriers and a lot of them can be curb ramps or recreation facilities that that need to provide access and when you um, when you have that transition plan you have like a guide to work through so but there are still some cities out there that haven't even done that and it it's, it just amazes me because it's, it's like you said, it's been 30 years, right? The code, the, the Americans with Disabilities Act has been around for a little bit over 30 years now, I think 31, but it's, there's still so much non-compliance through government agency. I think even like Amtrak right now over in the East Coast, they're working on bringing a lot of their facilities up to compliance. They're putting in elevators for the subway stations and they're doing um, a lot of upgrades, which is should have been done probably many, many years ago. You know, I've read a lot of articles where... Um, people trying to utilize the subway stations, you know, wheelchair user, and then the uh, elevator is, is not working as temporarily down. Well, you know, it causes them to traverse back somewhere else just to try and get access to um, commute to work. So there's a lot, we, we have a huge responsibility as municipal government to provide access and each city should have um, an ADA coordinator and ADA coordinators are really important to government because they help ensure that access is provided to um, people who are trying to utilize city services, whether it's um, kids trying to participate in a swimming program and maybe um, that one swimming pool or this particular class is being held doesn't have a, a lift to get someone into the swimming pool. Well, then they need to relocate that program to another facility so that someone can participate, you know, this child can participate in that. Um, Pasadena has an amazing ADA coordinator. I met her at a, um, I think it was the ADA Pacific uh, 
conference we had here in downtown LA just before COVID hit. And she's fantastic. Fresno has an amazing ADA coordinator, um, Shannon Walhall. She's put together um, some great programs out there for Fresno. And Fresno is doing really good as far as providing access and coming up. And, and she's on top of it, especially she's located in the uh, public works department. Each ADA coordinator is located in a different section of the city, Pasadena. She's located in the Parks and Rec Department. But the Fresno ADA coordinator, Shannon, because she's located in the um, Public Works Department, she's on top of their curb ramps. So she's, she's got that, that city on lock and providing compliance. So as part of um, the CASI program we were talking about a few minutes ago, I've been able to network with many um, ADA coordinators and network with many ADA or many CASP and ADA consultants through um, being part of that group. And it's, it's been so great. So for people who are trying to become a CASP or even learn about accessibility, they should really um, look into CASI and become a member. If you can become a member, whether you're a CASP or you're not. So um, there's just so much available um, training and resources through being a member for uh, CASI. So one of the things that we put together, Shannon and I, she's the ADA coordinator for Fresno, we put together this training program, um, study, study Like a Specialist, and we host that for Cassie. It's a webinar that we put together that teaches people how to study for the exam. We don't give any test questions, any examples. It's just helping them how to build their study practice. And, you know, breaking it down on a week by week or month by month, depending how long you want to stretch your study practice out to prepare for this exam. So um, there's just a lot of resources that Cassie puts out there. Um, if you're not a member, you should become a member. <laughs> shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, you know what? It's 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 uh, it's it's great that even accessibility uh, folks have have resources like this, you know. And I I know you're very heavily involved. I mean, you know, when it, it was funny because one time I said handicapped and you corrected me. You're like, it's not handicapped, and why is it not handicapped, Miss Lorena? Well, you know, that's an old terminology, and it's actually codified in the ADA. It's how the statute's written. But as we've come into the 20th century, you know, it's, it's actually derogatory. It's a derogatory statement, meaning cap in hand, um, that someone's out begging for, for cash or, you know, so it, it, it's a derogatory statement. So it's, it's better, it's more appropriate to identify people with disabilities, like a person with disability or the disabled, you know, but they do uh, not want to be recognized as handicapped. Yeah. And, and that was the first time, like, you know, I was like, Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, oh. You know, but it's, it's something that I learned. So I, I use the word disabled and that's in the appropriate term, um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's funny cause you probably, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks code, we don't realize that, you know, sometimes things change like the terminology changes and, and you know, and, 
and we become more aware of, you know, the different types of disability, you know, like me having a family member that's disabled, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm able to relate to the needs of the disabled because, you know, I, right. you know, even, you know, like an elevator not being uh, fixed, you know, uh, I, I use code to say, hey, you need you need to have your elevator maintained, you know, but it, it's really and it's for the benefit of the disabled. And we say, hey, you know, they, they need to have accessibility to go up and down the five stairs because my, my brother is a heavy, heavy guy because he has very low mobility. And I mean, he walks like I got like a, uh, like a mile. He can walk. I mean, he walks slow and uh, we're sitting there. We're like, oh, come on, man, the movie's starting, but you can't walk any faster, you know. And, but, you know, and having to carry him up the stairs, like help him, like, you know, step by step by step, it's tedious. And if there's, uh, you know, um, things out there that can assist them, like an elevator or a ramp, it makes life so much easier for him, you know. And yeah, it cuts down on the time for us, but that's not really what the point is. The point is, like, you know what, he should, you know, the disabled have. You know, they should be able to enjoy things just as much as everybody else. Uh, Yes, no, I agree. Um, Maintenance is important. It's actually in the statute and it's in the building code. So we have the obligation to maintain um, accessibility, at least to um, the code cycle that it was implemented and or the current code cycle, you know, for new construction. So a lot of times and a lot of times, you know, you'll see just painting. I mean, painting doesn't cost a lot. You know, I think even someone on a fixed budget can put a little bit of money away monthly and then say, hey, I'm going to get my access aisle or I'm going to get my accessible parking striped. So even even that that maintenance, so it allows for um, people to identify that this is where their space, where they can park and they can get out and have access to a facility. Um, signage, signage is low cost for maintenance, you know, have your um, braille and your exit signs, have them posted up. So that way people who are wayfinding along walls, they can feel those signs. Um, when they're walking because most vision impaired people they'll walk along the wall and that's why it's important to have signs you know at the at the strike side of the door so they know what space they're entering so there's a lot that can be maintained without a high volume of cost you know even um, the doj has about has a list of 21 things that they consider low cost that should be maintained. And uh, the building code also includes a list. I believe it's the same. So, and you can find that at 202.4. One of the questions um, that might be asked uh, for code enforcement, sometimes we know these folks can't afford it. Is there, have you seen any programs or do you know of any programs that would help like uh, any grants are out there that would help um, like a business owner, homeowner, uh, you know, repair their home. I know there's uh, HUD grants that do that, but uh-huh. is there anything for commercial or uh, through the uh, uh, Department of Commerce or, or anything like that? Have you heard of anything like that? Yeah, there's actually like you can take out a, a loan for a certain amount for accessibility upgrades and you can get a, a pretty sizable tax credit 
on your um, on your taxes for doing these accessibility upgrades. So there are um, there are programs through the banks that that are out there that can assist people. Even you know a lot of stuff is. Um, there is a list that is low, low cost that they can make these improvements, right? That business owners can make these improvements. And for stuff that that is more expensive, that may not be high cost to other, like McDonald's are like ramp, okay, no problem, right? But maybe for a small liquor store owner, putting in a ramp is like, it's going to take him a year or two just to save to... Um, for the concrete, for the contractor, for the permitting process. So they can go secure a loan and um, they can reap the benefits of the, um, on their, on their taxes for that. Awesome. And, and this is great information, you know, and Lorena, what's your, what's your contact info? If anybody has any questions for you. Um, you can email me at my personal email, which is Lorena at accessibilityassurance.com. And you can put my my cell number. They can reach me by my cell. I'll, calls that I don't know definitely go to voicemail, but I will call you back. <laughs> and that that should be correct on the on the on the um, right. Yes, that is correct. Cool. So it's Lorena Accessibility Insurance dot Assurance, uh, not insurance. <laughs> that okay. and they, they could always uh i would i'm not going to put your phone number on the on the chat because it, it'll be out there you. get random calls so um if somebody really wants to learn about accessibility please reach out to lorena uh, she's always um willing and able to assist um you guys can reach me if you have ever have any code enforcement questions i'm going to leave my email here as well uh let me see i sometimes i leave the uh here is my email. If you guys have any questions, uh, feel free to contact me. That's my email. Uh, so with that, um, thank you for joining us today, Lorena. I know you were kind of an impromptu, uh, impromptu uh, guest. And, you know, I like filling up our spots. That way people get consistent with uh, our shows. We are booking our shows and we are getting more people involved with our, our expertise and providing information to the general public and hopefully this can assist somebody help somebody at least um you know uh, turn a trigger on to kind of like hey maybe i can enforce this or maybe i can i can help somebody out that's having this issue and i think um having these guests on our platform is so important because we're we're all over the place like you said you know like architects have to know this this and this and this code enforcement we have to know this 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 and this and this right it's it's very similar. We're jack of all trades, and we, we like to say we're masters of code. But you know, you know. So, but um, but thank you. And um, you know, Rachel did send love. Uh, she's oh. is busy, but I'm um, sorry, Mister. Uh, it's all good. You know, and I know you are um our avid watcher, and I love it. And, you know, <laughs> yes. We appreciate you, and thank you for coming on our show. Thank you uh, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, and as some of the folks in the chat will be eventually be our, our guests as well. So anyways, Wonderful. with that, I thank you very much. And I will see you next time. Um, we do these programs on Tuesdays where we uh, feature um, uh, people from across the country, you know, in leadership and uh, managerial portions to kind of give a take to help understand where we're coming from as far as uh, like strategy and implementation of code enforcement programs and leadership and those kind of things. And Fridays is for general 
information such as accessibility or, you know, uh, we have a receivership program coming up, um, which is should be awesome. We have some on mental health. We have some on, on report writing. We have so much going on. So uh, with that, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And I will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.